that's the best thing about marriage. Often when I'm doing weddings, I will quote a verse from Isaiah chapter 62. And Isaiah chapter 62 says, As a bridegroom rejoices on his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And what I say to the people at the wedding in that situation is, I want you to watch this man today. Watch and think about how he came into this building. As he saw his bride for the first time. As he smiled at her. Watch him during the day when he whispers in his ear. Watch him leave this building looking like the cat that got the cream. And think to yourself, this is just an inadequate picture of the infinitely greater love that God wants you to experience in him whether you are married, single, divorced, whatever. There is something so much better than marriage, and it is what marriage points to. And that's why I call this sermon better than the real thing. Jesus, we see, is... Well, his context has changed. Verse 1, he had been in Galilee, now he goes to Judea. That'll be significant. He had been talking to his disciples, now he's talking to the crowd. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask him a question, and as you know, in the Gospels, he's always, or they're always trying to catch him out. And the question they say, is about marriage and divorce. Why? Well, because John the Baptist, earlier in this gospel, had criticized Herod's illegal marriage to his brother's wife. And see where that got him. So they're trying to stir up trouble for Jesus. And as Jesus often does, he answers a question with a question. What does Moses say? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The most obvious thing he said about divorce was in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's a little bit complicated, but it was where God saw that divorce was happening. He took it as a given, and he actually had a rule that said if you divorce a woman and you marry, and then you change your mind and you want her back, you can't have her back. And the idea was that they would try to take her, it was enabled for the woman, it was trying to not just treat her as a piece of property. It was designed that the person divorcing her would take this more seriously. I should also say that you might know that when you were hearing this Old Testament reading that we had, which we'll get to at the end, you might have noticed there was polygamy. Did you notice that? There was more than one wife. We were doing, in our Castle Troy small group, we were doing... Genesis. We're doing an overview of the Bible. The first time that polygamy is mentioned is to do with a man called Lamech, who is clearly a bad dude. And it's a reminder that polygamy was never God's plan. And what Jesus does in this passage is he brings them back to first principles. He brings them back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, you see that male and female equals created in the image of God, and yet different complements, a complement to each other. 
And if you want to go back to Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 23. As the woman is presented to the man, you'll see that the, the, the words are put in a little indentation, which is designed to show you that this is a song. So what's the first thing the man does when he sees his wife? He celebrates. It's not the most catchy tune. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken from a man. But it's instructive, the fact that the first thing that he does is he celebrates his wife. It's interesting, too, that in this reading, being said, and, and after all, that's what God does, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 62. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. So the pattern God given is to celebrate each other. But it's hard, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you. We have a good marriage now. Um, it has its ups and downs. If you have ups and downs in your marriage, can I say you're not alone? Uh, pretty much every marriage does. And, and there's a reason for that. And you go back to Genesis and you'll see the reason for that. We're fallen people living in a fallen world. When in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve sin, the first thing you see is they start pointing the finger at each other. This woman you put here with me. And then she says to the serpent, you, you know the old, I've said this to you on before, Adam and Eve sin, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> but you see that tension? And then later on in the chapter, when God says, this is what it's going to be like to live in a broken world. He says, your, your desire is going to be to control each other. You're, you're to overcome each other. And, and, and that's a, a tension that exists in marriage. You, you notice here, the whole context it takes the, the, it is a given that marriage is difficult because the whole context is divorce. And then you, you see that in verse 11, uh, Jesus talks about the relationship between divorce and adultery. I think he takes it as a given uh, that they know that in Matthew's account of this incident, that Matthew includes the words that Jesus said, except for the case of marital unfaithfulness. Where there is marital unfaithfulness, the person has the right, the wrong person has the right, not necessarily they don't have to take that right, but they have the right to leave the marriage. And I think that that's taken as a given. But also, look what he says about the Old Testament law. He says, it was hard. Uh, your hearts were hard. And we're going to look at that in a moment to say, well, what's the difference now? Why is it that Jesus almost seems to make it harder to live in a marriage now than, than it was in the Old Testament time? Cutting down those loops, bringing us back to Genesis chapter 2, one man, one woman for life. Why does he do that? Why does he up the game? We'll see that in a moment. Let me tell you, though, before we do, that will be our final point. Uh, Betsy, my friend over here beside Peter, uh, Betsy's, Pe Betsy's Peter's husband rather than Peter being Betsy's husband because she's sort of well-known. Well, Betsy's a great fan of this guy with a big mustache called Paul Tripp. Now, Paul Tripp uh, actually spoke in the Presbyterian church near the last church we were working in. They had a massive church. And this guy, Paul Tripp, a famous counselor, is coming, and he's talking about marriage. 
And this was at the stage where our marriage was a real struggle. And you know what I thought? Uh, Paul Tripp, he's going to come, and he's going to look down, and he's going to say, you women, you need to respect your husbands more. It's a disgrace. You're always... And I was really looking forward to this. I thought, Caroline's going to learn. She's got to respect me more. I, I drove with a great sense of anticipation to that meeting. And I was looking at a passage we're going to look at in a moment on Ephesians, you know, wives submit, husbands love. And I thought, yeah, I, you know, I knew where, where he was going to go. He didn't go there at all. I sat there quite frustrated, but actually he was completely right. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and they will cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And then he says, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself and let the wife respect her husband. Okay. Now, how does that happen? Well, then you go back to chapter 4 and you see that something's been leading up to this. This doesn't come out of the blue. In chapter 4, verse 31. Chapter 4, verse 31, we read, Let there no be no more bitterness or resentment or anger, no more shouting or slander. Let there be no bad feeling or any kind among you. Be kind to each other, be compassionate, be ready to forgive as God for your sake has forgiven you, or for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So the first thing you bring into the marriage is the gospel. You look at the person of Jesus who died for our guilt so that we could forgive. That's the first thing you do. You preach the gospel to yourself. You want a good relationship with anyone, married or single. And I'm going to come to singleness in a moment, which the Bible sees in a very positive light. But you come with the background of the gospel. We forgive each other because we have been forgiven at great cost. To our Savior. And so we preach the gospel of grace to each other. And then you go down to verse 34. And it's kind of strange when I look, and there is no verse 34. So I've made a mistake there. But you go down to chapter 5, verse 15. And it says, be filled, literally keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for God. So the context in which a husband loves his wife as he loves himself and a wife respects her husband is the context of preaching the gospel to yourself every day, letting it transform you, and depending on the Holy Spirit, leaning heavy in to the Holy Spirit to change you. And you can't do that without the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Which is why in the Old Testament, less was expected of men. Now let me finish. My apologies to those of you who are single for spending so much time in marriage. My apologies to those of you who've gone through painful divorces for various reasons. And, and I, as I said, there is the Matthew 19 where you know, someone leaves or someone goes off with someone else and that, that bond is broken and, and you are free. The truth of the matter is, marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. Singleness is hard. I, was a very, I got married when I was 30 and I was a very lonely single. But you know what's harder than singleness? is a cold marriage. 
And some of you, your marriage may be very close. I, I remember when our marriage wasn't great, thinking to myself, I really look forward to this. And now I sometimes, and I know I have a happy marriage now, but at that stage when our marriage was a real struggle, I remember thinking this is actually worse than singleness. I spent my whole time looking forward to marriage. Marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. And a cold marriage. And can I just say, um, this has to be said. If you're in an abusive marriage, you need to get out of it. And the church fully supports that. If you're in danger, you need to get out. We're not talk when I talk about the difficulty of a cold marriage, I'm not talking about an abusive marriage. If you're in an abusive marriage, as a church, we will try to do everything we can to help you in that situation and find you safety. But I'm talking about a cold marriage. You know, a marriage, and, and let's be honest, every single marriage fails to live up to some of the romantic dreams we had. So what do you do? Well, let's go back to the other reading we had. Uh, I came this because Matthias and Noemi gave me a book in Tim Keller. I'm, I'm trying when I'm doing my sermons to look at no one else because I have a tendency to, to go to, you know, if I listen to another sermon, I tend to sort of read their sermon and incorporate it. But, but remember, Tim Keller had a great sermon and it was called The Woman No One Wanted. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you're the woman or man that you feel no one wants you. You know, no one's ever shown romantic love towards you. It could be in your singleness. It could even be in your marriage. And you feel like the woman no one wanted. And Tim Keller talked about that. And he, he talked the story about Leah and Rachel. You remember Rachel, the beauty, Leah, the plain one. And Jacob, who was a deceiver, gets deceived on his wedding night and wakes up with, for him, the wrong woman. And you saw the last verse. Uh, uh, Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And so Leah had to live with this terribly imperfect marriage. She was the woman no one wanted. And maybe even in your marriage, that's sometimes how you feel. You always thought you would be celebrated more than you are. And what's the solution? Well, the solution comes from the fact that God didn't give up on Leah. God watched over Leah. In fact, I was saying to Lucas in the car on the way over here, I lay in bed this morning and said, I'll try to pray in bed. Terrible idea. You know, dear Lord, I... But I was thinking about what I was going to, I even thought about a sermon series on this, the unwanted women of the Old Testament, the ones like Hagar, where she's pushed away, and Elroy, the God who sees, goes after her. And here's Leah, the woman that no one wants, and God blesses her. How? Because while her husband doesn't want her, she gives birth to Judah, who is the descendant of David, 
who's the descendant of Jesus. And all of a sudden, this unwanted woman is actually loved by God in such an amazing way that she is an ancestor of the person of Jesus. God wanted her. God used her. God had a plan, even in her cold marriage, to bring her into his big purpose. And so whatever singleness or marriage or breakup of marriage means for you now, there is a God who sees you, who offers you something better than marriage. The best marriage is infinitely short of the love that God has for you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. And one of the amazing things in Mark's gospel is that Jesus takes the theme of bridegroom for himself and refers to himself as the bridegroom, because the truth of the matter is, as God the Son, Jesus takes the titles for God for himself. And so, as you think about, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, you can think as Jesus rejoices over you, and that is to sustain you when you feel like no one loves you, and when you're the person no one wants. And it is much better than marriage. Because in a fallen world, people will let you down. And we will let others down. And the romantic comedies will give us a picture. A, a, a friend of ours, I'll be careful going off on a side note, but a friend of ours, our, our neighbor, she's um, a lovely little girl, Amy. She's about 16, but we were talking about films. She likes romantic comedies. I said, just be careful, I said. When you watch a romantic comedy, look up the name of the actor and put in a Wikipedia search and see how many times they've been married. Because their relationships tend not to succeed the way they say. It's all going to be so easy. You know, it's just like the romantic comedy. And we're being told marriage advice by Hollywood, which knows nothing about love. If you're a person that you feel nobody wants you, if you're in a marriage that feels cold, if you feel trapped in singleness or trapped in an unlovable marriage, or even if you're in a great marriage, there's something still greater. And this is how we change. We look at Jesus. We preach the gospel to himself. We remember grace. We remember that we've been forgiven. And we lean heavily in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's just take a few moments in prayer and then we're going to move towards the Lord's Supper.